welcome to the Sincerely Mere podcast, the podcast taking a Christ-centered approach to holistic health along with a focus on slow, conscious living, and of course, cultivating nourishing, sustainable habits for you and your family. Hello and welcome to the Sincerely Mere podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Diane. Um, Today, I am joined by... um, Honestly, I'd call her an expert, an expert in minerals, an expert in fertility, just women's health in general. She's just absolutely fantastic and so, so knowledgeable. Um, Her name is Lauren De La Cruz. I'm sure if you're in the health space in some way, shape, or form, you have heard of her at some point. Uh, She goes by Innate Functional Nutrition on Instagram. Again, today we talk about minerals, we touch on fertility a little bit as well, Um, and you guys, this episode is just a goldmine. (laughs) You will absolutely love it. So um, without further ado, here is my interview with Lauren De La Cruz at Innate Functional Nutrition. Okay, Lauren, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Miriam. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So for starters, did you want to kind of introduce yourself, share a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, my name is Lauren Dela Cruz, and I am a functional nutritionist. And so I primarily specialize in preconception health, preconception nutritional work, lifestyle work. Um, I, I really love helping women put their best foot forward. <laughs> when entering into that conception phase. And it's really amazing so far to have seen so many changes uh, with my clients and my students, Um, just putting that little bit of extra work or moving around a a few things in their nutrition strategy, lifestyle strategy, and just seeing them benefit from thriving pregnancies, thriving postpartum, um, and then their babies, which are amazing. So (laughs) that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is awesome. I you were one of the first health accounts when I started like my own health journey that I found. So I have learned so much from you, and I'm so grateful for all the time and effort that you put in to educate people. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah. So along with preconception, you discuss a lot about minerals. So in kind of layman's terms, what would you or how would you define minerals, and what's their role within our bodies? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, minerals, they're a hot topic right now. So mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I think, um, and they can be interpreted in so many ways, but um, really what what they are, they are the spark plugs of the body. So think of it as like, there are so many processes and reactions that need to happen in our body. And really that is the metabolism. So mm-hmm. I should also define the metabolism as well. Um, oh, yeah. The, the metabolism is just really the the speed at which all the chemical reactions in the body are happening. And so what minerals really support is those reactions in the body happening. So when we think about minerals, they really support these enzymatic reactions. That's really more like the formal term mm-hmm. um, that... Uh, run hormones or create hormonal fluctuations 
Um, and then those hormones are also super helpful and responsible for running our metabolism as well. So, you know, when you think about the metabolism overall, if you start to peel back the layers, really minerals is at the foundation and the core of the metabolism. Um, and so that's really what they are and kind of what they do. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're super important. And I should say too, that we have this sort of, uh, sort of view Usually when looking at nutrition, and the reason I say this is important is because it's kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I think, oh, it's, that's okay. <laughs> I think it's super important. Um, so like when we're looking at minerals, you know, so many of them work together and then so many of them also work with vitamins, uh, water soluble vitamins, fat soluble vitamins too. So really they are the spark plugs, but they also have so many other partners and none of these nutrients work alone. So you know, when we do get into potentially talking deeper about minerals, just mm-hmm. keep that in mind too. Like just because we have a deficiency here doesn't mean we necessarily need only that mineral or that mineral at all. It might be something else. Right. They work in ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, so then would you say in general, most people are deficient in minerals? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just simply from the fact that we are you know, us as a species, we are living in a more stressful world than we've ever had to. Uh, right. So, you know, our ancestors, they lived, I don't know what the, the metric is, but <laughs> so much less stress they experienced in their day to day. I think, you know, we experience, oh, here we go. This is what I was trying to think of. <laughs> we experience more stress in our lifetime than our ancestors ever did. Uh, oh, sorry. In one day than our ancestors did in their life. Their whole lifetime. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy to think about it that way. Totally. And stress, you know, we it, it takes a toll on our metabolism and we burn through certain minerals depending on what kind of metabolic type we are um, much faster. And then we're, you know, taking all these medications, which, you know, sometimes they're really necessary. Um mm-hmm. But uh, we do as, you know, in the modern world, we, uh, in the United States, at least, we, we are responsible for like 65% of the medication, pharmaceutical consumption in the world with 4% of the population. So yes. I should also tell you, and um, medications tend to deplete us of minerals, but also vitamins. Um, you know, the foods that we're eating, they're, they're not necessarily super supportive as well. Uh, sometimes, I mean, you know, depending on what you're eating. Um, so kind of like the, those three things combined, um, I would say we are minerally deficient and it, it shows up because minerals are foundational to the metabolism. And when the metabolism cannot keep up with the demand that we're putting on the body, that's when symptoms start to arise. So really if we have, if we're experiencing any kind of symptom in general, this is really a generalization, but, um, we can probably guarantee that we could trace it back to some kind of mineral deficiency. And while repleting that mineral, you know, may not be the only part of the solution that we need to address, um, it certainly can really help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so where would you recommend a person start in regards to like replenishing these minerals? I know like adrenal cocktails are like huge right now. Um, do you have any like input on that? Yeah, of course. So (laughs) I guess from a root cause protocol perspective, and that's the school that I went to, it's the Institute that I went to. Um, 
are one of them. And they're, they're very focused on minerals and iron and copper and all that stuff. Um, so they have a free guide and it's, it really outlines, it's really all about supporting energy production in the body. And one of the foundations of what I learned there was the easiest low hanging fruit to sort of address mineral deficiency is to sort of minimize certain things rather than start new things. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we might be able to really slow down mineral loss by just minimizing certain things that might be causing mineral loss. And these things include things like iron supplements, uh, potentially vitamin D supplements, calcium, zinc, mm-hmm. excuse me, tickle in my throat, molybdenum, excuse me, multivitamins, prenatals, ascorbic acid, um, Okay. High yeah. High fructose corn syrup, um, <laughs> industrialized oils, fluoride, colloidal silver, zeolite, GMO foods, okay. um, those things. So, you know, they're not necessarily, it's not possible to avoid these things altogether, mm-hmm. but to minimize them as much as possible to, to our, you know, in a, within reason, mm-hmm. uh, slow down that mineral loss. Yeah. I was going to say... <laughs> I can edit it. I can edit that out if you gotta. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Still recovering, I guess. Um, I, I had COVID last week, so. Oh my gosh, you did! Like, yeah. Wow, and you survived. Look at that. Yeah, I did. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, I do have more recommendations too. If we wanted to continue sure. with that question. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. So um, <laughs> now that I've cleared my throat a little bit, thank you. <laughs> um, and and yes, you were you were right in sort of um, the the initial recommendations you sort of navigated to, and you know, getting adrenal cocktails in is a really easy way to start to replenish minerals. the The adrenal cocktail. There's a bunch of different recipes out there, but the original one from the root cause protocol is just four ounces of orange juice, a quarter teaspoon of uh, cream of tartar. And cream of tartar, it's not the stuff that you put on fish. Don't worry. (laughs) When I say cream of tartar, a lot of people are like, what? I know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's just this white powder. It's really tangy and it's Mm -hmm. super rich in potassium. Um, And then uh, a quarter teaspoon of salt, I believe. And so you just mix that in. And you drink it, hopefully away from food, but if you need to have it with food, that's fine too. And it's a really great way to replenish minerals because those minerals specifically also are uh, the ones that we lose most uh, during stress. So potassium, sodium, well, sodium is the first one, goes down. Uh, and then potassium will start to release as well during stress. And then we also have whole food vitamin C in the uh, orange juice, which is really supportive of our adrenal glands, which are the primary glands that respond to stress and release stress hormones. And so um, the adrenal cocktail is super great. Even just mineral drops here and there in your water. You know, we drink, we tend to drink water straight up um, and water tends to be really processed and treated. And a lot of the um, minerals are lost in that processing. <coughs> So yeah, 
Um, so poor, poor Miriam is going to have to edit my coughing because I keep getting a tickle in my throat. (laughs) Um, another, you know, kind of thing you can do is it goes back to the minimize sort of the items to minimize and, uh, whole foods are really just really important, um, for remineralizing, you know, kind of avoiding the middle of the aisles in the supermarket and focusing on the external uh, sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, the uh, outside aisles where the produce and the meats and the fish are, that's really, if you're getting your primary nutrition from there, you're going to be taking in a lot more minerals than the average person. Um, so getting a wide variety of animal and plant-based foods is really important. And also salting your food too. I feel like that's, you know, a lot of people are scared of salt because of salt or water retention, but what they don't realize is that the body will release a hormone when it's low in salt to retain water. And so it's called aldosterone. So if we're not getting enough salt, we're actually going to retain more water than if we were getting more salt. So really salting your food, not, you know, over salting, but salting the taste and making sure it tastes good. Don't be scared of that. Um, I would also say incorporating more organ meats and nose to tail eating. There are so many rich minerals and also rich proteins that come from organ meats and gelatinous foods and collagenous foods. And so things like bone broth, not only is it an amazing source of anti-inflammatory proteins like glycine and proline, but it also has the rich minerals from the actual bones that that came from the animal. You also have uh, organ meats like liver and kidney, and all of those are so, so nutrient-dense. And so just by incorporating these here and there, super mineral-rich. Also, um, shellfish. So <laughs> as I continue to cough, um, <laughs> um, things like shellfish, um, super mineral-rich as well. So shellfish is like shrimp, uh, lobster, oysters, uh, clams, mussels, octopus, uh, fish as well. Fish is great. I just prefer shellfish and I think it's a little more uh, nutrient or at least a little more mineral rich than your average fish, but mm-hmm. super great. Muscle meats as well. Um, uh, muscle meats are a really great source of zinc, selenium, uh, copper. Um, it has a little bit of copper, but also B vitamins. Uh, also heme iron as well. The, the more absorbable, usable form by the body. Um, and then we have fish, I'm sorry, fruit and juices. So fruits are really great because they provide, a, a, they're a really great source of electrolytes. Um, so, are, so are animal foods, but, you know, we do need carbohydrates to reduce stress and we do need some level of carbohydrates to run our body and metabolism. So, um Fruits and fruit juices, great source of usually potassium, magnesium. Uh, some have a little bit of calcium, um, sometimes a little bit of sodium, but really we're looking at magnesium, potassium, and then we have other trace nutrients as well. So really, really great sources. And if you're focusing, again, on whole foods, a good mix of animal and plant foods, you're you're pretty good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Okay, well, that's all the questions I had. Did you want to jump into some of the questions that um, 
followers were asking? <laughs> of course, yeah. Okay, we, we're going to touch a little bit on minerals, but we have a few questions on fertility. So also mm-hmm. right up your, your alley. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so the first one would be, when would you suggest seeing a fertility specialist? Um, and then a follow-up to that is, does their form of treatment relate to yours in any way? Yeah, this is a great question. So the general recommendations, um, I think by the National Institutes of Health, are to see a fertility specialist after a year of unsuccessful conception. Um, So I'm focused on preconception and utilizing functional tests that we would, so we would have a good idea of what's happening prior and be optimizing those areas of opportunity beforehand, usually. Um, So that said too, everyone's goals are different. So a retroactive look at this stuff might be your chosen path. So you, Preconception might not be, you know, part of what you want your uh, conception journey to look like, and that's okay. Um, but you might be finding these things out later on, rather than, you know, kind of upfront when you would be working with a, somebody that does more of my work. Um, mm-hmm. So the difference, really, between what I do and what a fertility fertility specialist does is that they're going to be approaching things too from a conventional perspective. So. The solutions and options they're going to give you involve medication and not much else, uh, not much nutrition support, not much lifestyle support. Also, because that's really not their primary area of expertise either. They don't go right. to nutrition school. Um, <laughs> so uh, their their sort of solutions are going to be more conventionally fo- focused, um, really probably a smaller set of things to options. Um So what I work on with clients is building a fertility foundation from the ground up through nutrition and lifestyle. And this can be a beautiful support to any woman, um, whether they're receiving fertility treatments or not. So, you know, this kind of foundational fertility work, it's great for preconception, but it's also a great accompaniment to a fertility treatment if that's something that you are pursuing because it can hopefully help make that fertility treatment more successful as well. Uh, because we're at the end of the day, we're optimizing egg health, we're optimizing cycle health, we're optimizing nutrient density and nutrient stores for baby. Um, so you really can't go wrong with doing those things together either. True. Yeah. Um, so do you have thoughts on COQ10 to support egg health? Yes, CoQ10. Um, okay. I yeah. I have literally never heard this word until this person asked the question, and then I started seeing it like everywhere. I'm like, okay, what is this? I made this interview with Lauren so I can yeah. know what they're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because usually, you know, you hear CoQ10 when you're talking about statins and heart mm-hmm. health because CoQ10 is is a really um, uh, abundant in the heart, and statins deplete CoQ10. Who's tip okay. if you are on statins? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> If for anyone on statins, that's a tip because uh, everyone knows somebody on statins. Um, so that that's depleted. So usually when you're on statins, you take a CoQ10 supplement, um, okay. hopefully. Um, so CoQ10 is really, uh, it's, it's really supportive of energy production in general as well. Um, the heart requires a lot of energy. The cells need to make a lot of energy. It beats, oh, I forget how much blood it pumps, but it's, it's, it's constantly working, constantly. And so it requires a ton of energy. 
and a ton of nutrients to support that energy production and that output. Um, that said, CoQ10 is also really supportive to egg health. Uh, it helps eggs produce the energy required to be viable from ovulation uh, to fertilization. It helps the implantation of the egg. It helps uh, cell division when you uh, the embryo is you know forming. Um, so CoQ10 is super important. Um, I will say I will say also though that vitamin K is also a quinone. So CoQ the Q for in the in CoQ10 is quinone. Um, and vitamin K is also a quinone. It's medic. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna mess this up now <laughs> for some reason. Um, I think it's menaquinone, and there the vitamin K uh, has mena- various types of menaquinones. Uh, MK, which is usually abbreviated to MK4, MK7. Those are the two most common that you might have heard of. Um, so uh, I've heard Georgie Dinkov talk about how. A vitamin K can provide the same benefits as CoQ10, but not vice versa. So because of the quinone status of vitamin K, you might also be able to get the same benefits from CoQ10 if you're taking a vitamin K supplement, uh, but not the other way around because CoQ10 can't do what vitamin K does in general, okay. is supporting blood clotting, but also supporting getting calcium into the bones where they belong. Wow, that is... Very interesting. I did not know any of that. <laughs> um, okay, so is there an optimal magnesium intake during pregnancy? And then she followed that up with, would you recommend a pill form or a liquid form of magnesium? Good question. Um, so it really depends. You know, the NIH provides guidelines for all nutrients during pregnancy. The accuracy of those guidelines is hotly debated. Um, and so the NIH guidelines are, are 350 milligrams during pregnancy, but you know, you, the best way to understand your intake would be to get an HTMA or hair tissue mineral analysis, uh, because then you can understand your metabolic profile, whether you're a slow oxidizer or a fast oxidizer, because those two kinds of metabolic profiles, and then there's sub profiles under those, uh, they all have a sort of uh, tendency to burn through certain minerals more than others, and they're different. And also, uh, getting an HTMA would be helpful because you can understand your magnesium status in relation to the other minerals, which again, I mentioned earlier that minerals work together in the context of each other. And you also mentioned they work in ratios, which is also super true. Um, And so, you know, here we have a magnesium, potentially, if, if say we do have a magnesium deficiency, it's not necessarily a good idea to take magnesium uh, because there are so many other minerals involved. Like, for example, boron helps magnesium retain inside of cells. Uh, so we might be low in boron, not magnesium. And uh, say we start taking magnesium and we feel really crappy, that could be because we need more sodium potassium first. So really there's a bunch of different sort of scenarios and it's all about looking things in co- looking at things in context rather than sort of like, okay, I want to take more of this um, or I think I'm deficient in this. Let me take it. Uh, it. It's a little more accurate when you have more data to look at. Um, but types of magnesium. So I really like a mixture of them. And I think that what is best would depend on the person and what works for that person. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, what is your lifestyle like? Are you, do you like taking pills or do you hate them? Then maybe a liquid form would be better. And if so, maybe you want to take ionic magnesium, the magnesium drops. Uh, maybe you want to do topical uh, magnesium as well, or instead of ionic drops. Um, if you do like pill form, maybe you take uh, glycinate, uh, which is really common, or maybe you thrive more on malate, which can be more energizing. And so you would have to not take that at night. But, um, you know, there are so many different types of magnesium as well. Those two are really great. I love bicarbonate as well. That's usually the type that would have been found in our water prior to treatment. Um, and that's also super supportive of blood sugar balance and certain organs like the pancreas. Uh, so really, it just depends on what you like. And there's no real way to figure out what's going to work for you other than to experiment. So mm -hmm. I'm a big uh, proponent of experimentation when it right. comes to supplements. Yeah, yeah, definitely seeing what what works best for you. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so this person is losing a lot of hair after getting the virus. That's in quotations. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she's wondering if adding in trace minerals would help. Great question. I just got over the virus. Um, <laughs> and that could be why my I have such a tickle in my throat for this episode. <laughs> Poor Miriam's <laughs> like going to have to edit so much. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so this, this uh, I know several people that, you know, have had hair loss post-virus. Mm -hmm. Also, several people that have had hair loss post-vaccination. So uh -huh. really, it just depends on you and um, there's no like great predictor other than like, if it hit you hard, you may be more likely to experience hair loss. Um, it's called something, it's, it's something called telogen effluvium. So a stressful event leads to, uh, the hair follicles all going into a rest phase. And so what happens is usually, uh, I guess outside of this situation, all of our hair follicles are kind of desynchronized. They're falling out. Re they're, they're going into rest phase and regrowing non-synchronized. So all over our scalp, it's like happening really randomly. But this kind of stressful event, and it could be an illness, it could be just uh, trauma, you know, something really terrible happened in your life, and it's really stressful on the body. And so all of these hair follicles become synchronized. And so they go into the rest phase, synchronized, and they regrow synchronized. And so we have, it's just more noticeable when this happens. Um, so, you know, it, it will take about six to 12 months, depending on how fast your hair grows to, to regrow it. Uh, but it is temporary and things like minerals and other micronutrients can certainly help because the body needs energy to support hair growth. So right. raw materials like protein, will also be important too because the body can't make keratin without protein. That's really important component of hair. Um, and in general, if the body feels unsafe or if it's running low on resources, it's going to reprioritize providing energy to non-essential functions uh, towards essential functions like uh, blood pumping, temperature regulation. Um, uh, let's see, what else? <laughs> what are some other vital signs? Um, uh, digestion or, you know, that could also be actually 
reduced digestive capacity in, in a stressful situation. So uh, it really will start to uh, whittle down what it can focus on because energy is yeah. limited. So, and hair is not essential. So when thinking about regrowth, I would really focus on getting enough protein, enough fats, enough carbohydrates, really enough calories in general. Yeah. Just um, making sure you're nourishing properly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then those micronutrients, which are going to support the chemical reactions happening in the body. Mineral drops are a great way to, again, replenish. Um, but you may also want to consider organ meats. They're really super, super packed with nutrients. And so that'd be a really great way to get um, – a lot of nutrition in sort of a really limited capacity. And um, if you get liver or kidney, or if you, even if you want to take desiccated supplements, I would highly probably recommend those um, to, to support the hair regrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one's a little bit random. I know it wasn't on our sheet, but I was wondering if you had thoughts on like fermented foods Mm-hmm. Um, does that kind of just depend on the person or do you think they're like overall beneficial, non-beneficial? Like, what do you think? I think it depends on the person. I definitely think they can be beneficial. So fermentation is a process. It's a very ancient process. We started doing that to preserve food, um, especially for the winter. And oftentimes fermentation can increase the nutrients inside of the food. So we have more vitamin C, more copper. Uh, we have more vitamin K2. Uh, So fermentation is really strategic in sort of the um, nutrition it can provide. And it also reduces the effect of certain anti-nutrients as well. So say we were going to eat, say, you know, you have cabbage, raw cabbage, and you also have sauerkraut. If you compare the two, you're going to get more nutrition from the sauerkraut because not only is it fermented, so it has more um, vitamin C and copper, but it's reduced the goitrogenic properties, which you know can potentially displace iodine from the thyroid um, and you know other potential anti-nutrients that the raw cabbage without any treatment would have. So you do have some benefit there. Um, it depends really, though, how the person reacts to fermented foods. So if they have a histamine intolerance issue, they're not going to do well on fermented foods at all. Um, if they have um, insulin resistance, they might not do well on fermented foods either because you have extra um, lactic acid when you ferment foods. And so this lactic acid can sometimes be problematic in that it makes uh, glucose uptake and glucose utilization a little bit more difficult for the body. So, you know, if you're somebody that tends to run more insulin resistant or is working on that, fermented foods might not be super beneficial, but so sorry. Um, <coughs> when it comes to pregnancy, uh, fermented foods are can be really helpful, and it depends on your risk tolerance as well. You know, where are you getting the fermented foods to? It can also potentially cause, uh, or sorry, carry a um, food safety issue depending on how well the food was, the fermented food was. Uh, cared for, where it's coming from, the kinds of strains used to ferment the food. Sometimes, you know, uh, a lot of fermented foods, at least in the supermarket, they tend to have these um, strains added to them. They're not really natural 
or how our ancestors would have consumed them. They're just kind of like use they use these strains and then they put the fermented food label on them and uh, okay people fall for it um, right so you know quality matters uh your risk tolerance during pregnancy definitely matters too you know you don't have to do anything you're not uncomfortable with um can be helpful though because uh lactobacillus is the primary uh bacteria in um our our uter our, our <laughs> uterus <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a uterus and all, all down there. Um, so, you know, a good balance of bacteria can be helpful in supporting vaginal health. Um, and again, we, we uh, actually not again, I don't think I mentioned this, but we imprint our health on our children. And mm-hmm. also we imprint our microbiome, especially as they pass through our birth canal. Uh, so, you know, having good gut flora and it might be that lactobacillus, you know, is important. So is bifidobacteria, especially for baby. Um, getting these fermented foods can help us increase those strains, uh, those more beneficial strains to pass on to baby as well. So just wanted to comment on the sort of like relation to conception mm-hmm. and preconception and, and baby as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so that's all the questions that I have. Unless you have anything else to add or any other uh nuggets of information you want to share with us <laughs> oh yeah i mean uh well thanks for tolerating my coughing um <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh, gosh. I, I, I don't know i've been it talking won't... all week but today i guess yeah it i was gonna say it's it won't take long it's okay <laughs> yeah well i'm glad but yeah i mean you know don't, don't be too stressed about um i guess you know when approaching or trying to remineralize and there's so much information out there and how minerals, you know, interact with each other and stuff. And the list that I gave earlier is kind of long, mm-hmm. but again, it's not about like avoiding these things completely. It's really just about minimizing where you can. Uh, right. We all have busy lives. We all have different priorities and we all have different budgets and, um, you know, just trying to pick and choose what you feel is most important for you. Uh, and going from there is probably the best course of action. And so little little things add up is basically what I'm trying to say. And so, you mm-hmm. know, start small and, and work your way up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then if you want to go ahead, you can share any resources you have, uh, your social media handle. I know you have an amazing preconception course. If you want to share <laughs> that too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So if you wanted to uh, learn more about what I do, um, you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is innate functional nutrition. Um, I have a free cycle literacy guide in the link in my bio. It basically goes through, um, it's just a resource for how you can get to know your cycle better, which is really important, not only if you're trying to conceive, but just for general overall vibrant health. It's, you know, our cycles, our fifth vital sign. It can tell us a lot about what's going on. Um, and inside there's information on how to support yourself through each phase of your cycle. Cause there are oh, many phases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. In terms of nutrition and exercise as well. So we all have different um, phases and uh, different needs during different times. Um, and then I also, as Miriam mentioned, uh, I have a e-course it's called conscious conception and essentially it's the ultimate guide to preparing for conception. So there's tons of information, not only on nutrition, but also 
I have uh, my my great business partner, Dr. Britt Harmon. She's a pelvic floor health specialist. There's tons of information on pelvic floor health and how to prepare for that part because our body changes so much during pregnancy. Um, and lab tests you can explore, lifestyle changes, prenatals, what to do, what not to do, um, so so much stuff. So uh, that that was really a labor of love. And uh, I hope if if you're somebody preparing for conception, um, that it that it helps you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Lauren. This was this was great. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm really happy to be here, and I love that you're doing this. I'm so excited to listen to your episodes. Thank you. Thank you. now it's time for A Minute with Mir, the part of the show where I will share a Bible verse that's been on my heart, a product I've been loving, or a quote I wanted to pass on. Honestly, anything that has blessed me in my everyday life. So today I wanted to put the spotlight on a product that I used to use all the time every day, um, and then I just completely forgot about for like two months. And then within the past like probably two weeks. Um, I've rediscovered it and I'm obsessed with it all over again. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys, but it happens to me more, off- more often than I care to admit. Like I will be obsessed with a product and then I'll just for some reason forget about it. And then when I find it again, I'm like, why did I ever stop using this? <laughs> it's so good. Um, but that product uh, that I'm referring to <laughs> is uh, the Tallow Beauty Balm Uh, by Cosma Beauty and I know that there are like other tallow balms out there I haven't tried any other ones but I can really vouch for this one um Stephanie is very very mindful of um you know her she owns an entire skincare line Stephanie is the owner of Cosma Cosma Beauty um but she's very mindful of the ingredients she uses in her products she doesn't use any poofa she doesn't use essential oils like it's all just very, very, very high quality products. Um, and this tallow balm specifically, like it's very versatile. You can use it any time of day. You could use it, you know, before bed, in the morning, whatever. Personally, I use it before I put on any makeup. Um, and even if I don't wear makeup, I still will put it on um, in the mornings. But again, it's so versatile. It absorbs so nicely. Um, there's no like residue your skin doesn't look like greasy it's it definitely looks glowy but not greasy Um, again so I would very much recommend checking out um, her beauty line all of her products are fantastic if I didn't mention that already Um, but I just I very much um, love absolutely love her tallow balm Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. Everything I mentioned today will be linked in the episode description below. If you would like to keep up with my day-to-day life, you can find me at Sincerely Mir on Instagram. Thank you.